You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, or morning or afternoon, depending on the time the listener is listening to this. Yeah, I generally avoid the time of day greeting because it's a podcast and that doesn't really make any sense for anyone else. But, you know, it's the fucking evening for me. So good evening. Well, good morning slash afternoon slash evening slash night to you, Piper. Thank you. Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week and he's going to share them with us today. Or tonight. Oh, oh. (laughs) we've just unravelled everything now, haven't we? Should we do some facts? Uh, Yes. In the words of Cole Sear, if he were an academic and not a child who can see Bruce Willis, because... Spoiler alert. Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time. I see dead facts. Here to introduce the first fact of the show, it's me, Piper Dawes, off of the podcast. And to give you that fact and subsequent anecdotes pertaining to said fact that I'm introducing right now, it's Christopher Parr. Here he is now with fact one. I object to the term anecdote because that implies a vague slightly humorous non-story, whereas this is a heavily researched narrative. All right, well, fine. Just uh, here's here's Chris with the facts and no anecdotes whatsoever. No, there might be anecdotes. I'm just saying that the entire thing is not an anecdote. For example, right, and this will be relevant later on, a fruit salad might contain grapes, but it is not itself entirely comprised of grapes. Is it? No, that's true, Chris. No one could argue with you there. (laughs) So if somebody said, oh, you're eating grapes and it's a fruit salad, you'd go, no, you fucking idiot. It's a fruit salad that happens to contain grapes, but needs not contain grapes to be a fruit salad. Shall we do the fucking fact now? If you want. Right, good. Here's the fact which may or may not contain anecdotes. (laughs) There is a campaign to get tomatoes recognised as fruit. Okay, so this is a subject which seems to confuse and frustrate the masses, so let's get it cleared up before we go any further. Tomatoes are recognised as fruits by botanists, but are considered vegetables by nutritionists. This may serve to confuse people even more, but at least it's accurate, Chris. What's the campaign about? Well, obviously, as you've just said, Piper, tomatoes are recognised, at least botanically, as fruit. In fact, they are botanically speaking, berries. But the group Team Objective may call tomatoes officially parentheses fruit or tomato. Wants tomatoes to be considered as fruit, not just botanically, but also culinarily. They want people to think of tomatoes in the same way as they think of apples and oranges and such. Right, so they they want the official definition to be that of the the botanist camp who recognise the tomato as part of the fruit family, all well and good. Uh, But as you say, this leads to them being considered similar to other fruits, um, which might cause problems food-wise. What are their demands specifically here? Well, team objective may call tomatoes officially parentheses fruit, envisages a world in which tomatoes are 
for example, an option for kids' packed lunches instead of an apple or banana, in which tomatoes are admitted to people's fruit bowls along with oranges and pears, and in which tomatoes are accepted as part of a traditional fruit salad along with, but not necessarily, grapes and watermelon, and in which tomatoes are removed from normal salads, which are for vegetables and not fruits. Right, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, kids pack lunches. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, some sort, sort of slightly more middle class kids might be like, oh, I've got a tomato. I'm going to just bite into that like it's a normal everyday thing. And spew tomato juice everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Maybe maybe that's why it's an issue. Um, fruits are just something you just you just you just eat on their own. Um, tomatoes aren't conducive to that because they just cover people in tomato juice. Maybe that's the reason it's not a fruit. Although the same could be said for like um, peaches. They're quite messy. Mangoes. Yeah. Oranges as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but people, because they're fruits, uh, because they've got that definition, like popularly, uh, I think people just like, they just go to town with reckless abandon without any any thought of, of consequences pertaining to the people around them um considering like fruit-based disasters i mean i i, th- I think i think yeah if they, if they start eating tomatoes as well it's going to cause all sorts of trouble and they're gonna they're gonna start being rained on with tomato juice and it's just it's just not on but maybe that could be a good working definition for a fruit because generally speaking vegetables aren't messy to eat i mean carrots or parsnips or lettuce they don't spew everywhere when you eat them but a lot of fruits do. So maybe that could be an avenue team objective may call tomatoes officially parentheses fruits could go down. Yeah, I, I think I think though uh, if we do do that or if if they do do that, I mean, I, I've, I've got no dog in this fight. Um, if, if, they, if they they call tomatoes a fruit because of that, then, then also you have to call an onion a fruit because that sprays um, microscopic uh, shit into the atmosphere. It makes your eyes water, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not really the same that you don't bite into an onion and spray stuff into people's faces, do you? It's not really the same. You've kind of made a a, a, a rather tenuous connection there. I have, I have. Um, so, <laughs> why why aren't tomatoes already included in fruit salads if they are a fruit? Then, well, tomatoes have a strong umami flavour. That's the 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 savoury flavour type. They're not sweet like other fruits basically. Right, yeah. But Team Objective may call tomatoes officially, parentheses fruit, points out that the sweetness varies among traditional fruits anyway, and that perhaps the savouriness of tomatoes could pleasingly offset the sweetness of other fruits in, for example, a fruit salad. Also, like it could create like a, a, as opposed to being uh, where fruit salads at the moment are just basically, uh, it sort of just tastes like fruit, it's just sweet stuff, isn't it? Uh, it's funny how fruit salads just taste like fruit, isn't it? <laughs> you know what? The other day I had a fruit salad and it didn't taste like bacon at all. Well, what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is, Chris, like, if, if you, if you fruit have... salad tastes like fruit. Oh, it's Brexit Britain, isn't it? It's political correctness gone mad. I know, I know. But we are verging on anecdote territory here, Chris. It must be said. It's not an anecdote. It's a satirical bon mot. Well, consider me fucking dulled. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is, if you add a tomato to the traditional fruit salad, then it, it essentially becomes more of a um, uh, mixed palate meal then. And actually, that's kind of 
more interesting. It's more diverse fruit wise. Uh, well, I mean, possibly, but I mean, like fruit sours are already kind of mixed palate because you'll have, say, watermelon, which is a, a milder fruit taste. Also, grapes, which are much sweeter, and, and and apple slices, which are very sweet as well. So it's already mixed palate, as you say. Adding tomatoes just pushes it further down the spectrum of that to have a, a broader spectrum of fruit tastes, is what Team Objective may call tomatoes officially, parentheses, fruit, says. Right, yeah, it sounds like they've got... Um, they've. They've got an objective, and it, it, you know, on paper, it sounds pretty good. I, I, I quite like this idea. Yeah, so you have an objective is make all tomatoes officially parentheses fruit. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean it's in the it's in the name, really, isn't it? Um, so I mean, who are these guys exactly? What what are they doing to change the way we view the humble tomato? Well, as with most oddball groups of this kind and any kind of campaign really oddball or not uh, they do the usual lobbying and ad campaigns but there are of course those in the organization who want to take immediate and drastic action to achieve their goals in this case that immediate and drastic action comprises going into supermarkets with pockets full of cherry tomatoes going to the meal deal bit where they have those little fruit salad pots and popping a couple of cherry tomatoes into them and then sealing them up with sellotape. This fruit salad vandalism has gotten all suspected members of Team Objective May Call Tomatoes Officially, parentheses, fruit, banned from all major UK supermarkets. Right, okay, okay. I, 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 I think it must be said, though, cherry tomatoes are slightly different to regular tomatoes. They are sweeter. Uh, yes, they're smaller as well. They are smaller, that is true. That is true, Chris. But my point is they're more sweet, so like they might fit in slightly better with the whole fruit-based salad situation well that's their point isn't it piper yeah i think i'm i mean i'm not i'm not defecting here i'm not i'm not joining the campaign at all but like i can see where they're coming from slightly um well obviously it's it's gonna it's gonna uh damage their campaign slightly if they're getting banned from supermarkets so like they can't they can't do the the more extreme activism that they were that, that, that some of their members were planning but um so aside from um what was the group called chris team objective may call tomatoes officially parentheses fruit good uh aside from them um <laughs> is there anyone else that's been uh banned from supermarkets uh shoplifters well yes that is true that is they get banned because they steal stuff i don't think anyone could deny that that's true good one is that an anecdote <laughs> i'm starting to suspect piper you don't actually know what an anecdote is oh it's a bit of interesting stuff that you say in the middle of other stuff interesting stuff you say in the middle of other stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay any others uh, no, but I want to unpick this whole anecdote thing now. Oh, fucking hell. Right, so if an anecdote is interesting stuff in the middle of other stuff, so the other stuff isn't interesting. No, no, I mean, it's a self-contained maybe story or, or tidbit of information within the bigger story that you're telling or within the bigger uh, uh, narrative of whatever. You're just like, oh, and then there's this little bit that's that's self-contained that's really interesting on its own. That's an anecdote. Right, you're talking about like a, a tangent or a digression. My God, you're right, yes. An anecdote is basically a, a short, amusing... They use the word story in the official definition, but it often isn't an actual story. It's just, oh, this happened to me today. And then you tell some brief thing about how you 
stepped in some dog poo or something. That's an anecdote. Okay. Okay. So you couldn't say that, like, the fact that shoplifters are banned from supermarkets is an anecdote. You can't. You can't really say that, can you? No, it's not really an anecdote. No. No. Okay. Okay. Noted. So uh, these these guys have like um, so that you say they've they've, they've lobbied with ad campaigns and stuff. What have they done to further their own campaign themselves? So team objective may call tomatoes officially parentheses fruits. Most recent ad campaign replaces images and mentions of other traditional fruits in popular media with tomatoes. For example, they have a billboard featuring a famous Renaissance painting of Adam and Eve from the Bible with the apple replaced with a tomato. Uh, And one of their online ads features a badly dubbed Matt Damon saying, how you like them tomatoes? If you're into the desecration of natural landscapes in the name of national pride, boy, have we got a treat for you. Here's fact two. The Soviet version of Mount Rushmore featured a giant baby. Mount Rushmore, for those who don't know, is a huge monument to the early United States presidents, namely George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln. Uh, It was constructed by essentially destroying an already present landmark known to the Sioux tribe of Native Americans as Six Grandfathers. Uh, In 1937, 1967 and 2008, there were proposals to add add to the four faces that we see today. However, the bill failed, as the American government stated the remaining rock was not suitable for additional carvings. Arguably, a revered landmark such as the Six Grandfathers was not suitable for carving at all, as, as as it desecrated land owned by the Native Americans. But we're not getting into that here. What we're going to be discussing is a completely different monument, one in Russia. What is the story of the Russian Mount Rushmore, Chris? So Mount Rushmore, or more precisely, the Mount Rushmore National Memorial, uh, was completed in 1941. And in the late 40s, the Soviet Union, not to be outdone by those American imperialist dogs, wanted their own monument to match the grandeur of that carved into Mount Rushmore. The problem was that the USSR only had two leaders they could immortalise in stone, Lenin and Stalin. But obviously they'd want to match the Americans for number of massive stone heads. So that left two spaces blank on the proposed monument. Right, yeah, yeah, because Russia never likes to be seen as being a step behind America. So if they only had two leaders... uh... What was the actual proposal for this monument then? So the Commissary for Monuments, the administrative body that oversaw the project, decided that the third head would be that of a baby. The giant baby head was supposed to symbolise the unborn future generations who would eventually, at some undisclosed point, be able to enjoy global communism whenever that actually happened. Right, so it's a theoretical future... We're, and and so these babies' heads will enjoy comic. So you're supposed to read into this uh this this monument as saying these are these are this is a baby's head, but it symbolizes all the babies' heads in the in the land that are going to going to grow up into normal sized heads, and um will eventually appreciate the very viable and very legitimate form of political. Right. 
Fine. All right. <laughs> Communism. Good, good. Um, was there going to be a fourth head or were they just going to leave it as Lenin, Stalin and the weird communist baby head? Oh, well, obviously there'll be a fourth head. I've just said that they had to have two more spaces to the I Piper. You did, you did, yes. I was so trying to link in slightly. All right, what what was going to be the fourth one then, Chris? Well, it was decided that the fourth head would be a generic proletarian head to symbolise the workers of the world who would usher in this possible communist future that might happen one day. However, in the spirit of communism, they didn't want to privilege one specific worker as the model or one specific ethnicity. So the giant proletarian head was to be a blank, racially neutral head. I imagine it might have looked a bit like the Greendale human being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that would have been completely legitimate. I I, I think I think I, what what's concerning me, Chris, here is that the uh, the Russian uh, the Soviet Union have, have actually surpassed um, America in in their sort of equal opportunities here by by essentially not just displaying the elite on this mountain, but displaying the workers and 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 the future enjoyers of communism. Like like this is about this is about equal opportunities. This is about the people. This is about the like you say the proletariat. This is this is. I mean, it sounds quite good actually. I think. Yeah, but bear in mind they only did it because they didn't have any other leaders. Right, so they ran out of elite forces. Yeah, had there been, you know, Stalin 2 and Stalin 3, they'd have stuck them up there as well. Yeah, okay. All right, so they had a they, they, they had dwindling numbers on their 1%. So they thought, right, fuck it, we've got to, we've got to give the we've got to give it to the workers. It's it's a last resort, but fuck me. I guess we're going to have to do it. So, did they did they finish making it? Uh, well, construction began on Menelaya, a peak in central Russia, in 1951, but was halted by Khrushchev when he took over the USSR after the death of Stalin, which means that the Russian countryside is marred by a half-completed and slowly eroding giant baby head. Uh, so so they did, the, did they do the baby head first then, and then they just ran out of money and stopped? They were doing all the heads simultaneously, trying to get it finished as quickly as possible to catch up to America. I mean, there was a half-completed Lenin head and Stalin head and Greendale human being head, but I went with a baby head for comedic effect. Yeah, I think I think that is the thing of note, really, isn't it? That there's a baby head out there in the Russian jungle? <laughs> well, I quite accurately used the word countryside, which you could have done as well, Piper. But no, you opted for the the far more exciting, but, you know, far less accurate and, quite frankly, bizarre jungle. I've not been to Russia. Well, neither have I, but there's no fucking jungles there. <laughs> it's a big place. There might be a bit of jungle. It's a small bit somewhere. Like a couple of trees and a, a tapir looking lonely. It's lit. <laughs> it's literally one of the biggest. It's the. It's the biggest country in the world. If there's not any jungle, I feel like it would be a bit weird. Yeah, but it is almost entirely within a northern temperate climate, isn't it? So there's forests, certainly, but jungles are tropical and subtropical, aren't they? Yes, that's true. That typically of jungles, they are. They are pretty exclusive to warmer regions. Yeah. Right, so has the British government, Chris, over here, have we have, has the British government ever considered doing a similar thing to this weird, what seems to be a, a tradition beyond America now, 
Has the British government ever considered doing a similar thing? Who, who would they put on the on on the uh, British Mount Rushmore? Well, obviously, Britain has more than two rulers. So to imitate Mount Rushmore, we could have four British leaders or rulers on there. I suppose Winston Churchill would be a somewhat uncontroversial choice. But other than that, I'm not entirely sure who would go on there. So for inspiration, I looked at the BBC's list of 100 Greatest Britons they did in 2002. And I made a list of the highest four leaders who appeared on that list, who could be put on the British Matt Rushmore. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Uh, so Winston Churchill, who was voted the the number one greatest Briton. Jesus Christ. Of all the Britons in the world, they picked the one that has actually committed genocide. <laughs> yeah. Um, Elizabeth I, who was number seven on the list. Okay. I don't know what she's done other than being queen. Oliver Cromwell, who was number 10. Oh, he's the plague prime minister, isn't he? Wasn't he? Was that him? Was that... No. Uh, the plague was before this. What was happening when Oliver Cromwell was prime minister then? Uh, well, he um, he basically created the British Parliament as we know it now. He was like prime minister after the English Civil War. But um, he's also known for uh, subjugating the Irish. So that's fun. Oh, um, the list is a very problematic list, I should say. Enoch Powell, Enoch Rivers of Blood Powell is number 54. So that gives you an idea of that, what this list is. Anyway, uh, number four on the British Mount Rushmore is Alfred the Great. Is this someone that I should know of? King of England in the early history times. Right, okay. Long time ago then, Chris. Very long time ago, yes. Well, it, it, all right then. All right, so... Let's 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 put aside the, uh, the the national pride thing and the and 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 what what we think the government would actually put on a, a mountain to celebrate us. Who would you put on it? Well, clearly, as the examples from the list of one hundred greatest Britons shows, political leaders aren't the way to go to properly represent the British identity. So maybe it should be cultural leaders up there on this hypothetical monument. So the first head would obviously be David Bowie. Oh, yeah. For the second head, as a 30-something white person, I'm not best equipped to judge who might best represent black Britons. But I feel in light of his political activism, Stormzy would be a good choice. Stormzy? Uh, he's a, a, a rapper, isn't he? Yes, who was in favour of Jeremy Corbyn and very much against Boris Johnson. Ah, well, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anyone who's against Boris Johnson should be memorialised in a, a big chunk of rock, definitely. To cover the female base, I'd like to see Tilda Swinton's big head. God damn, I would die for Tilda Swinton. Oh, it also covers the queer base as well, because she has come out as queer. Yeah. And, of course, to represent the voiceless, the oppressed, those who can't defend themselves, those who have been failed by the system, the cat that woman put in the bin. <laughs> As we launch into the third fact, painfully aware that this is one of... Oh, fucking hell, I fucked it up again. I'm going to do it again, Chris.
As we launch into the third fact, painfully aware that this is the one where the few people who do listen to our show get distracted and go make a cup of tea, please spare a moment for us, your humble podcast hosts. Even if you're not listening right now, we're still bringing the facts with all the enthusiasm of a popular podcast. Here's fact three. Johnny Depp was fired as a door-to-door salesman. Uh, Johnny Depp has not had a great deal of luck recently after being axed from the new Fantastic Beast film. But I wasn't aware that he was moonlighting. What? Why was he working as a door-to-door salesman in the first place, Chris? So this happened when Depp was researching for his role in the as-yet-unproduced screen adaptation of Sebastian the Parrot's best-selling novel, Barnaby and Floyd which our listeners may remember from an episode many, many moons ago. It was a bit of a while ago, Chris, but like, if we've got some faithful listeners out there, they might remember the, uh, the wonderful writer Sebastian the Parrot. Yeah, so Depp was to play the titular door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman Floyd. And to prepare for the role, Depp actually worked as a door-to-door salesman, knocking on doors in suburban New Jersey and trying to sell people hoovers. Right, so he took a job to help him get into the character for for the role. That made, that makes sense. He's a very accomplished actor. Clearly, throws himself into the to, into everything he does. So, what did he expect to gain from the contract then? Well, to really get into Floyd's fictional head, Depp wanted to experience all the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of a door to door salesman. So things like having door slammed in his face because people buy their hoovers from department stores now, getting this close to closing his sale and having it all fall apart at the last minute, making the biggest sale of his career and getting that one step closer to retiring, and perhaps even getting caught porking a housewife when her husband comes home early. I should point out that Floyd's story takes place in the 1950s, when porking housewives was socially acceptable. For those who um, who don't remember, Barnaby and Floyd is about a parrot called Barnaby in Cincinnati Zoo in the Now Times, who is also simultaneously a vacuum cleaner door-to-door salesman in the before times. Yes, but not a time-travelling parrot like I assumed when we originally did the thing. It's just simultaneously one thing and another thing. It's fine. That's fine. It's art. It's fine. Um <laughs> Right, so so Chris, I mean, the important thing here is like, how did he go about getting like this is Johnny Depp? I know he's awesome, but like, how did he go about getting all these different experiences? The problem was that these are things that a real door-to-door salesman might only experience a few times over a decades-long career, and Depp wanted to get them all within a period of just a few weeks. So he tried to engineer the scenarios he wanted to experience by paying customers himself to buy a vacuum cleaner or slam a door in his face or call up their husband to get them to come home early. I should point out he didn't actually have sex with them. He says... (laughs) I mean, we've been sued enough times by celebrities, Chris. We can't afford another one. So Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. I mean, awesome guy. Awesome guy. Um... Love, lovely, lovely, lovely man, lovely man. Um, that definitely shouldn't sue us. Uh, so, so he, yeah, he paid paid customers off to make make sure that his scenarios that he needed for his role were played out. That's fair enough. Okay. So, but you mentioned he got fired though. 
How did he? How did he lose this uh, this door to door salesman job? Well, he was eventually fired for verbally assaulting a woman who was insisting on buying a vacuum cleaner from him, possibly just for the experience of buying a vacuum cleaner from Johnny Depp even though Depp had explicitly instructed her to refuse to buy anything from him. According to a statement made to the police, Depp was shouting things like, don't you fucking dare buy a vacuum cleaner from me, lady. And you better be thankful I don't actually have scissors for hands. Right, yes, I mean, this is the the, the um, issue of celebrity coming into all of this. I mean, uh, you know, he's not just a door-to-door salesman. He's fucking Johnny Depp, isn't he? He, he might be trying to research a role, but unfortunately, he's going to come across people who are just going to be like, you're Johnny Depp. I'm going to ruin this for you. <laughs> I'm going to treat you like Johnny Depp rather than just like a normal door-to-door salesman, which you are trying to, trying to, trying to do. That's your whole thing right now. I'm going to fuck that up because you're Johnny Depp. Um, and this is the issue. I mean, poor celebrities, man. They just they, they they get the raw deal, don't they? Yes, poor, poor, rich, poor, privileged celebrities. It's pretty weird, Chris. This whole thing's pretty weird. But like, is this the strangest role Depp has ever gone for? Is a door-to-door salesman stranger than a fictional version of Hunter S. Thompson, or a perpetually pissed pirate? Or a guy who literally has scissors for hands. Is that what you're asking, Piper? The thing is, he's not just a door-to-door salesman, is he? He's also a parrot living in Cincinnati Zoo. Yes, but Johnny Depp wouldn't be playing the parrot. He'd be playing the human. Oh, right. So there'd be two different actors, but the same character. Yes, the plan was to have Johnny Depp play the human, which he was eminently qualified for. And they were originally planned to have a parrot play the parrot, but it turns out that parrots aren't very good actors, so they're going to have Andy Circus do a performance capture on it. Does it? I mean, is there anyone else in the in 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 Hollywood at the moment that that even attempts to do motion capture now? Now Andy Circus is on the scene. <laughs> Loads of people do actually. Yes, it's become very popular recently because of Andy Circus. Well, good. This is what happens when I try to pretend that I understand an industry that I, I genuinely know nothing about. Um, <laughs> listen, Sebastian the Parrot of, of, of Barnaby and Floyd fame, who's done, done the writing for Barnaby and Floyd, who happens to be a very accomplished writer. Has he done anything else recently? Is he still writing? Well, if I wanted to be pedantic, and I do, always, I'd say that Sebastian has never actually written because he's a parrot and can't hold a pen. It's other people who write down what he says. Um, his follow-up to Barnaby and Floyd, another split narrative novel set during the Crimean War, but also in modern-day Tokyo, wasn't as well-received as his first book. Sebastian is now trying to stay relevant by working on a young adult fantasy series, which has been described by the parrot's literary agent as Animorphs, meets the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, if there's ever a crossover I wanted, that would be it. It's not a crossover, Piper. It's not Andy Dufresne gains the ability to transform into animals. Well, you've you've given me that now as a gift and and I want it now, Chris. Well, you can't have it. (laughs) Okay, well, fine. Thank you for dashing my hopes and dreams that you've just invented. So uh, are there any other instances of uh, method acting going too far, Chris? 
Patrick Swayze reportedly spent a month with a sheet draped over him in preparation for his role in Ghost. I don't, oh, Chris. I mean, I can't, I can't dignify that with a response. Like, there's fucking no way. Don't come at me with that. Give me another one. Oh, well, maybe you like this one better than Piper. In 1992, Richard Attenborough confused his friends and family by going about with his arms tucked into his sides and roaring until he was told by Steven Spielberg that he was, in fact, cast as one of the human characters in Jurassic Park and not one of the dinosaurs. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting, Chris. It is interesting, isn't it? It's like an anecdote. Oh, if, if you've got a talent, why not hide it from the rest of the world and save yourself the embarrassment of public shaming and judgment? Here's the final fact of the show where someone didn't do that. A hypnotist got the Britain's Got Talent final. Britain's Got Talent is a competition variety show which supposedly showcases the very best talent that this septed isle has to offer. Uh, since its inception in 2007, the show has had all sorts of different kinds of talent. Uh, from the man who dodged crossbow arrows blindfolded to the unexpectedly incredible voice of Susan Boyle. Bendy dancers to the end of the pier style singers and dancers who just want their five minutes of fame. Several helpings of daredevil acrobatics, magicians, and indeed his hypnotic dogs. But I've, I've not heard of an actual human hypnotist getting on the show. What did they do? So this was professional hypnotist Terence Mesmer. Mesmer's act for the 2013 series of Britain's Got Talent wasn't just a stage hypnotist performance. Mesmer had realised, like most people, that it's musical acts that tend to win the show. So what he did was he hypnotised the show's judges and the studio audience. And it turns out most of the viewers watching on their tellies to believe that he had just performed the best musical number they had ever seen in their lives. Oh my God. Okay, so 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 his act wasn't essentially, like his act wasn't hypnosis. It, so he, he wasn't officially a hypnotist, but was in fact billed as what, like a, a singer? Uh, it, it, it's, it's just he used his hypnotic abilities to fool everyone. This is, I mean, this is, Quite a, it's quite a feat considering the show's broadcast to millions. Did it work completely? Well, the judges, the audience and most viewers at home loved Mesmer and he became an overnight sensation. However, the small percentage of viewers who were immune to hypnotic suggestion took to social media to voice their concerns over the fact that a guy had just basically told the Britain's Got Talent judges and audience that he was doing a musical number. They went, oh, brilliant, good job. And the controversy was largely ignored by Mesmer's army of fascinated fans who were intent on believing that he was a great singer slash dancer and not a massive fraud. Right, so, so his fans aren't fans of his ability as a hypnotist. They're fans of his imaginary ability as a singer slash dancer. Uh, yes, they don't even know he's a hypnotist. They just assume he is a, a singy, dancy man. Ah, oh, that's fucking brilliant. Right, so so this guy um, goes on the show, fools everyone into thinking he's singing and dancing his way to the top, basically. Um, 
uh, and he fools the judges. Even Simon Cowell, that little prick who's essentially got no soul and is definitely not human, still manages to fool him. Brilliant job. Good job on his part. I mean, fantastic. Um, so, so he got all the way through this. On national telly, good fucking job. So what happened uh, when, when, when Mesmer got to the final? Well, Mesmer's mendacity came to an end in the Britain's Got Talent final when several members of the audience, either by chance or designed by low susceptibility saboteurs, turned out to be immune to hypnosis, as about 10% of the population is, and broke the trances of the judges and audiences to reveal the ruse. Right, okay. So, like, so, so... Uh, did he say 10% of the population are immune to hypnosis? Uh, yeah, not so much immune. Um, generally speaking, the population is divided into high susceptibility, medium susceptibility, and low susceptibility. Medium is about 80%, with about 10% being highly susceptible, and the other 10% being not very susceptible at all. So, uh, so, so obviously the the final for this guy did not go well. Um, so he was caught in the act, essentially and very literally. Uh, what what happened to him? Well, Mesmer was arrested on charges of fraud and public endangerment, and would have faced a relatively short prison sentence if the judge, judicial, not talent, hadn't realised the potential havoc Mesmer could wreak with his abilities. Terence Mesmer, dubbed the Mesmerizer by the press, is now serving a life sentence in prison where he's kept away from other prisoners and most of the guards in a special soundproof cell with frosted glass windows so that he can't use his powers to escape. Right, so they really took it proper serious then? Yeah, I mean, a guy who can hypnotise a good chunk of the population into believing he's a great singer and dancer could do anything. He could take over the world. Yeah, but Darren Brown is walking free to this day. Darren Brown hasn't tried to trick people into thinking he's a great song and dance man, though, has he? He's upfront about what he does. Yeah, but just because you're upfront about your own powers doesn't mean you can't use them for evil. That's true, but... Mesmer did. It's like Superman and General Zod. Superman and General Zod have the same powers, but Superman uses them for good, like Darren Brown, and Terence the Mesmerizer Mesmer uses them for evil. And that's why Terence the Mesmerizer Mesmer is in a special prison cell and Darren Brown is walking free. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Like, I think the, like, I, I, this is quite surprising to me that the government or like whoever, whoever, whoever controls who goes to prison, the police, whoever, or judges or something, <laughs> um, that the, the law, um, that, that they have reacted in this way. Because I think if there was a real Superman and a real General Zod, then they'd put them both in prison just, be, just because they're capable of, of, uh, of heinous things. Um, and, and and they've not been through like army training and stuff to <laughs> army training, like 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 make 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 them just do what the government wants them to do. Like they they this is the thing. Whatever you are, like if you've got a power, um, like hypnosis, which is arguably a superpower, except it's not arguably; it's proper a superpower. It totally is. 
um, then, 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 then if you've not been through the proper debilitating, horrific army training process, then... What is this army training you keep mentioning? What are they doing hypnosis in the army now? Is that what you're saying? No, they're just they're just they're just kicking you until until you do in, until you use your powers to benefit the what what Piper like seriously yeah what the fuck are you on about? When you ask me that, everything that I've said goes out of my head, and I'm just like, <laughs> good, keep it out of your head. It's nonsense. Let's just move on. Um, <laughs> Right. Well, so so what we I mean, we talked a lot about Britain's Got Talent. Uh, this guy's obviously mental and a genius and terrifying and essentially a god in my eyes. And I don't like him. Um, are there any other um, beyond Britain's Got Talent, Chris? Are there any other hypnosis facts you want to discuss with the uh, uh, the, the massive audience that we have? You're feeling very sleepy, aren't you, Piper? You've had a lot to drink. And you're just going to close your eyes for a moment. Let the soothing sound of my voice take you down into the calm and comfortable depths of your unconscious mind. It's quite empty in here, isn't it? Empty and calm and comfortable. Now, when I clap my hands, you're going to wake up and believe that I've just told you a series of amusing, outlandish, but totally true facts about hypnosis. And everyone could see his willy. Ah, oh, fucking hell. Jesus, titty fucking Christ. Well, my God, my God, my goodness gracious tits. That is it. That's the end of this episode of Chickens Can't See Cubes. With me, Piper Dawes, I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muinfotorere, M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. You can also contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes, that's S-W-E-C-U-B-E-S and Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Please like, comment, subscribe, wherever you find us. I mean, it really helps us feel like we aren't wasting our lives. Thanks for listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. I mean, how would my particular skill set translate into a TV talent show? This is the interesting thing because it's quite a, it is quite a strong skill set. One might even say a talent. Well, no, one might not say it's a talent. At least not in the sense that they mean on Britain's Got Talent. It's not something they can go on stage and do. Can't go on stage and go, well, I... Things are true. Blue is a colour.